0: Our teams keep tanking, so let's talk about it in this episode.
1: The Jazz have lost their last three and are currently headed towards their fourth straight loss tonight against the Mavericks.
0: And the running in have lost five straight. Will they not make the NIT if they don't get a win against Stanford?
1: <laughs> oh, man. And for our draft segment tonight, we're going to be talking about our top movie franchises ever. So that should be a good
0: one. That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect.
1: Five, four, three,
0: two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. All right, here are today's Thatcher Effect headlines. They're They're not great, Richie, but start us off.
1: No man, they are not great. Um, Utah Jazz are currently sitting at thirty-one and thirty-four after one loss to the San Antonio Spurs, and two losses to the OKC Thunder. Um, let's just let me just say, I watched all of those games, and they were horrific. Um, Jazz are currently in the ninth seed with a very crowded Western Conference playoff race, play-in race. Um, teams are losing, teams are winning. But with injuries arising, it is starting to look like the Jazz will go on a losing streak tonight. They're out with Hal Colton Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, Walker Kessler. However, there are still reasons to watch the games. And we're going to talk about
0: why, Thatch. That should, that should be good. I'm excited for it. Um, as we were mentioning before, the Running Yates have lost uh, five straight, including uh, their last regular season game on the year at Colorado on Saturday by final score of 69 to 60. Some small good news. Gabe Matson and Raleigh Wooster returned. But overall, the team was so cold from the field. Um, I think that's something we've been talking about basically all year. And so losing five straight, that moved them into the seven-seed slot going into the pact 12 tournament, which puts them up against 10-seed Stanford. The other problem is because they're in that specific slot, that means they if they do beat the Cardinal, they will face the number two-seed Arizona Wildcats. So something to look to. But we got some other bad things maybe going on around the league that we thought are a little bit newsworthy, obviously right now, John ja Morant, um, he obviously flashed a gun in his Instagram Live after losing to the Denver Nuggets last week while he was at a nightclub. And so he took a leave of absence. The official report was that he was going to be gone for two games, but some sources are saying it could be longer. I've seen some sources say that he might be checked into rehab, um, could be out for the foreseeable future. Richie, what have you heard on this topic? And what are your thoughts on what's transpired this last week with the star in Memphis?
1: Well, yeah, it's, first of all, it's just kind of a crappy situation. Um, I think Jalen Rose, who has been a very controversial athlete, his college days were very controversial in the same way. Um, I thought he made some very good points about this whole situation. I mean, John Morant, he's a human, just like any of the rest of us. He makes mistakes. He's prone to it um and John Morant is in a condi- is in a very interesting situation because he is the guy that's accountable he's around all these guys and a lot of people have been talking about his crew at the end of the day John Morant's the guy that's bringing in the money so people are going to listen to him he's going to be the guy that has the main voice within his crew um so i think he has to have he has to own up to his mistakes which he's already starting to do which i think is encouraging um and just hopefully be better as far as like uh what this could do for like as far as like the repercussions that this could cause um a lot of it is going to come with the investigation of how he got the gun because he was in denver is after their loss to denver um there are questions about whether he brought it on the plane or whether he brought it into team facilities and per the nba players union if a firearm is brought onto the plane or into team facilities in general, then that's worth a 50-game suspension. And we saw that with Gilbert Arenas um, way back in the day. Um, the whole gun situation, it's not something that's foreign to the NBA. It's happened before. It'll probably keep happening. Uh, recently, as probably the most recent case was Raymond Felton um, waving around his gun to his like, girlfriend at the time during a fight, and he got suspended for four games. Um, John Morant has currently been out for one game. He'll be out for another game tonight and this hasn't been a suspension. So I would expect him to be longer. Like this has just been an absence from the team, not a designated suspension. So the Grizzlies are in a really, really bad place right now. Brandon Clark got injured. Dylan Brooks is getting suspended every other game because he just cannot resist getting a technical foul. And John Morant is probably going to be out for extended time. Um, and from a basketball perspective, that's going to change things in the Western Conference where the Grizzlies currently sit at number two. The Kings are behind by one game. And if the King, I mean, we got to give a little credit to the Kings. They're, they're about to take the second seed. That's awesome. Great, great story. And I don't think the story is just going to end in the first round of the playoffs. I think they can make some serious noise. Um, but, yeah, this, this is going to have some major repercussions in the NBA – And I'm really interested to see how this is going to play out because it could be something that has very profound impacts of the league.
0: We mentioned a few, I think it was a few episodes ago about the, I think it was after the All-Star weekend. Maybe I I could be forgetting, but about the impacts, positive and negative, I think of the Players Association, um, about how they wanted to use their voice. I'm, I'm really interested in how those players respond vocally, hearing more about what other players are thinking about it. Um, probably would happen later on down the road. I don't know. I don't think journalists would ask questions like that, especially right now in regular season time. But I think this will be a major topic of conversation in terms of new league rules or looking at league rules going into the offseason. Because this is, I think in, in my opinion, as well as, most opinions of fans in the NBA, John Morant will be one of the top faces in the league. And he already has turned into that in only, you know, four years. So having a player with this, with this much of a star caliber, do an act like this is going to set actions in motion. And I don't know what they'll be, but I think this will be something that the NBA will look at. And so I'm interested to see more about how Adam Silver responds to this and how the league responds as a whole, but, the whole conversation of how does he get that on a plane? Where did he get it from? Especially if he got it in Denver, right? What kind of crowds he's surrounding him with? Does that kind of change? Like what NBA players can do when they're in a city on the road, or maybe even at home, what they do after games, was that going to limit them on on what they can or can't do? I just think it's like you said, it's just tough to see because we're all human and we make mistakes and a celebrity when they do stuff like that, they're, you know, put to shame and, you know, it, it gets put all out there. And so we're, we're it's really easy to judge. And obviously um, this is a little bit more serious of a mistake than just a casual, you know, mishap. So I hope that John Morant does get the help he needs. If in fact he might be going to a rehab facility, I think it's good for him. Like, you know, he's a, he's a young dad and I, he's 23. So he's our age, right? He just, I think young people like us brain still developing, but I think, now being in a league you have you at least can recognize hey i'm in charge. i'm like the face of a the face of a franchise i'm going to be the face of a league you got to you got to act like it and as much as people may f- make fun of lebron and stuff or uh, various different things the thing that i respect lebron for is that he was the face of the league as soon as he walked into it at 18 years old because he was the chosen one and as far as i can remember i haven't remembered a major scandal that he's been a part of and I think people forget, like Kobe was involved involved this kind of like it happens, like it happens to most NBA players. LeBron has, I feel like, known that since he was the face of the league, he's he's been that type of guy. And and obviously, I could be forgetting things. I'm I'm a young guy, but I think knowing who you are and your impact on the game should impact your decisions. And Ja obviously is going to learn from that in this mistake. But as you said, this impacts the Western Conference playoffs if Memphis is without a lot of their stars and. Like you said, the Kings are going to move can move into the two-seed, probably will. And like you said, that's amazing. No discredit to them. But I'm excited to see how this shakes up for other teams. I'm really sad to see, though, because all the talk and hype and crew stuff or surrounding the Memphis Grizzlies, like their talent is so fun to watch. Um, it's it's fun to watch D- Dylan Brooks because you want to cheer against him. It's fun to watch Jaw because he soars above the backboard for blocks, for dunks. And their their team chemistry is something that I think a lot of fans can be jealous of with their own squads. So it's tough to see in terms of the Memphis perspective, but should be interesting to see how things heat up. And we kind of saw that in one of the games last week with Phoenix and Dallas um, Kevin Durant starting to get in motion with Phoenix. Seems like things are kind of starting out pretty well over there, but things have kind of been a little bit spotty with the Mavericks since Kyrie Irving kind of joined in. There's been a lot of discussion of how Luca and Kyrie kind of mesh. What did you see in that game? Obviously besides the Devin Luca little hash it out at the end, but What did you like from that matchup last week? Because that seemed to be the the top matchup in the league last week.
1: I am praying that the basketball gods give us some sort of playoff matchup between the Denver, between Dallas and Phoenix. I think that would be an insane series. There's so many little subplots going on. Like You watch that game. Obviously, there's Luka and Devin Booker stuff that extends from last year when Luka Luka outscored their entire team in the first half of that game seven, which was just ridiculous. And there's still a lot of bad blood from just that series, which was an awesome series. Um, And then you're not even talking about the KD and Kyrie stuff. Like they were just on the team two weeks ago with each other. And like, I think they're on pretty good terms because I think they're both, they've been homies. They are homies. I don't think that's really going to change, but. It is like another subplot where I'm sure there's some competitiveness between the two. Um, and I'm sure KD would like to be Kyrie Irving in the playoffs just because of how that situation went down. Um, I think it would make for an incredible series. Both those teams are very interesting. I think Dallas, while they made a move to go in the right direction, they're still lacking some parts. Um, they got rid of, debatably, their second and third best players on their team in Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney Smith. And as good as Kyrie Irving is, it obviously hasn't translated to the defensive end and they're having some serious struggles without Finney Smith and Maxi Klebe is coming back. He has been one of their best defenders um, and does a lot for them on both sides of the ball. I think he'll help. Um, But Dallas, they have some serious questions to answer and I don't think they're going to be necessarily a contender this year. But if they are able to retain Kyrie Irving, go into next year, make another trade with their remaining assets, and hopefully get like a good winged player, kind of like in the OG and Nobi an Mikel Bridges type of player, I think they could make a serious run just because Luka is so good. Kyrie Irving is so good. Like you are seeing that their offense is elite. They're scoring like 120 plus points in every single one of these games. And This little streak that they've gone on, this little losing streak, they're scoring a lot in every game, and every game has been close. It's been, like, within five or gone to overtime. Um, But they're just not being able to finish some of these games, and sometimes that helps when you have just a better wing defender. But they are a very interesting team. On the Phoenix side, I don't even know what you can say. Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, it feels unfair. Then you kind of get into the, like – fifth sixth seventh guys and it starts to feel like oh okay so they're loaded up on front end talent and they don't have as much depth and I think that's something that Phoenix can maybe kind of fix this season I just think guys are going to have to step up we saw it on Sunday ish Wainwright it's four out of five threes makes the game close keeps the game close just because they're leaving him open um, and Phoenix is going to have to have a guy do that every every single game because The defenders will be so keyed in on Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. Um, But yeah, they are an impossible team to defend. So many options, so much length. They're going to be really interesting in the playoffs. Both these teams will. And I am praying, like I said, that this sets up a Western Conference playoff matchup. That would be just ridiculous.
0: I appreciate the game of all superstars involved on both of those squads but the amount of complaining and whining from all stars as well on both sides is so entertaining. And as we mentioned before, like the NBA is entertainment. So that matchup is very entertaining. I loved the little beef between Devin and Luca at the end. And I'll have to admit, I think I like Luca a little bit more. I know he probably complains a little bit more, but I just have a weird bias against Devin Booker. Um, I've, I've been to his games in person. I just don't like when, he, he sounds he sounds more whiny than Luke, and I feel like that's hard to hard to beat. But as you mentioned, in terms of the Phoenix side, I think it's really important that the bench steps up, especially this year, because three of those four stars, in my opinion, are a little bit more injury prone than others. We know KD is injury prone. Um, Devin Booker's been out for a lot of games this season. Chris Ball's heading towards the end of his career. He's gone through some injuries um, late in the season throughout his time in the league. So that can be something to look out for. And maybe we'll see how they maybe rejuvenate and maybe fix that bench moving forward, maybe using some of their assets um, going into next season like Dallas will. I think things will temper out in. Mem- excuse me, with the Mavericks. And like you said, I think it'll work its way out because of how good Luka is. And Kyrie also has a gene where I think when he's in the game and when he's playing basketball, focused on basketball, He's got a winning gene. I feel like with the Nets, he was just never really there, never felt like he was fully with them. And so I felt like that impacted their winning a lot. I think that can be different with this Dallas squad. And as a result, I think, excuse me, the Mavericks can move far moving forward with those two players. Now, looking at the Western Conference as a whole, you mentioned it's pretty stacked right now. The fact that the Jazz are still technically in the play-in right now baffles me. Absolutely baffles me. Um, They're on a three-game losing streak, right? Like you said, they're, pretty pretty much guaranteed going to lose a fourth, which would put them out of the play-in tonight. But the fact that you have four squads in the West with the exact same record, Jazz, Trailblazers, Lakers, Pelicans, that is going to be fun going down the stretch. We mentioned, uh, I think going into the All-Star break, that the Jazz have the e- had the easiest schedule going into the second half of the season year, or the last third of the season. But because there's been some injuries, I feel like that's impacted their chance of winning. It's hard to win when you don't have... I think it, it, I think it's hard for the Jazz to win if you have at least one player injured, um, especially a starter. And it's obviously throughout this losing streak, they've had at least one or more starters out. And so not having Collick Sexton, not having Laurie Markkinen, um, now not having Jordan Clarkson, Walker Kessler, like that impacts your winning so much. Because as... As nice as it is to see these bench guys get minutes, they're just not good. Like they're not good to play to playoff type of level. Once you go up, obviously the Nuggets are incredible. By far the best team in the West. And as you mentioned, the the two slot is seven games behind. Kings are going into there. I think things just get so interesting from the five seed Warriors basically all the way down until the Pelicans. Um, there's a five game difference between the four seed and the like 13 seed. So things are so close. And I, it's hard to imagine a year like this where there has been such an equilibrium between wins and losses. Adam silver mentioned that himself at the all-star weekend, where he said we've, the league has never seen a season like this where all se- all teams involved have had such like a close margin between their records. And I think this, I think it's nice as an NBA fan. It's nice because once again, it helps these NBA games towards the end of season become more competitive. It sets up such a fun narrative looking into the playoff season, right? We're 18, 17 games out from the playoffs. So how is this going to shake out? I think the conversation changes every day, which makes it so fun. Richie, what are your thoughts on the Western conference playoff as it's, or excuse me, Western conference standings as they look right now and how do you think it'll maybe shift moving forward?
1: Yeah. First of all, credit to the NBA because they did two things. First, they added the play-in tournament, which is keeping these teams that might be encouraged to tank. They're keeping them in the playoff race. Like, imagine if there was no playoff play-in tournament, the Lakers probably wouldn't have made any moves at the deadline. They would have just gone the rest of their season. And now that we can see them slowly climbing up the the rankings um, with hopes to get into the playoffs, and The second thing that the NBA has done incredibly well is flattening the lottery odds because that also decreases incentive to tank. And I just, I feel like those two changes have been key for keeping the NBA competitive. Looking at the standings, I want to kind of look at like what the playoff matchups would be today because there are some crazy playoff matchups. So the 1-8 would be the Nuggets Clippers. These two teams have history together. Um, We saw the Clippers blow a 3-1 lead in the bubble um, to the Nuggets Nicole Jokic was dominant and Jamal Murray was dominant. Um, that was Kawhi and Paul George's first playoff run together. Um the the Clippers are an interesting team. I don't know why they're starting with Russell Westbrook. Maybe we can get into that some other day, but former Jasmine Russell Westbrook is not doing great for them. Um the two seven would be the Grizzlies and Mavericks, which would be a very interesting matchup. I don't know how anybody is going to stop Luka and Kyrie in the playoffs. I think the only people that can stop those two are going to be them too. Um, And I don't know, Memphis, they're still still a good team. They have lost some of that playoff depth. That would make them a really good team in the playoffs, but uh, they're still all right. The 3-6 would be interesting. It's the Sacramento Kings and Minnesota Timberwolves, and both teams kind of with something to prove. Um, some postseason noise to make. I think the Kings would probably be favored in that series because we just haven't seen what the T-Wolves look like with Carl Anthony Towns and Mike Conley yet, which I think could unlock their offense for good. Um and then the four or five, that's where it gets really interesting. You have the Suns Warriors. Think of all the stuff that happened with KD and the Warriors as KD exited Golden State after they lost to the Raptors that whole season, the beef between him and Draymond just the storyline between him and Steph, like who's the better player, whose team was it? I think that would be an incredible series with so many subplots. Um, and I don't know, man, just wherever you look, there's going to be some really good playoff series in the West. Like, I think, I know that the East has gotten the reputation as a stronger conference this season. And I think that's fair. I think the three teams in the East that are at the top are really good. Heck, I could, see, I could say four and include Cleveland with, philly milwaukee and boston i think all four of those teams are really good but the west has so much more depth to it in my opinion um the nuggets are obviously an elite team the favorites to get through the west but then you have golden state who won the championship last year you have the clippers who have Kawhi leonard who's just we know that he elevates his game to another level in the playoffs and they have so much wing depth you got the mavericks with luka who elevates his game even more than Kawhi leonard in the playoffs and going on and on. You have Kevin Durant in the West. Now it's just, it we're in for a very exciting playoff. And this end of season, as teams try to look for their first round matchups, we saw, we saw it a little bit last year where teams would lose some games to avoid certain first round matchups or win some games. We're going to see a lot of that this year, and it's going to be a really exciting stretch to end the season.
0: Yeah. Looking at the Eastern conference, I don't know if we're going to have an interesting, maybe first, Two rounds. Uh, I I think those will be pretty easy to call. Obviously, I think the Cavs, if they moved on to the second round and potentially played the Bucks, that would be really fun to watch. But yeah, it's like I'm not saying that a Western Conference team is destined to win the NBA Finals this year. But like you said, it's just the depth. And I think that's what will keep that side of the playoffs more interesting because I think any team that will make it through to the one through eight – will put up a fight and I think it, they're, in my opinion, I don't think there'll be a sweep and I don't know if there'll be a 4-1 uh, like a 5 game win for any of these squads in the playoffs Like I think we're looking at probably 6 game series all the way through because of just how good these guys are. Maybe the Nuggets, whoever they play, um, maybe they could do like a 3-1. Uh, the Nuggets are so good I was able to watch that Memphis game last week and dude, I forget like how they were able to pull Reggie Jackson uh, during the trade deadline. Like that's totally goes under the radar and the roster. It, it's just so deep. And I love the team chemistry over in Denver and things aren't slowing down anytime soon over there. I, I think they're still my favorite to go all the way. Um, obviously Jokic three-time MVP could be debatable on first take another discussion to be had, but exciting stuff all the way around. So as I said before, it's going to change every day. It's going to change every week. So I think, Going into the playoffs, each of our episodes I think are going to have a different to- different topic, different conversation. How do the Jazz really fit into this? Because as of right now, they're still in the play-in. Uh, they would be, they would have one home game. If they won that, they'd be able to play the winner of the 7-8 seed. Um, but as it stands right now, they'd be playing the Trailblazers in a home game in the first round of a play-in. That would be really fun. Uh, being able to have Dame come to Utah, I think that could be really exciting. So we'll we'll see how those matchups look going down the road, but It is time to get jazzy, Richie. And this Jazz jazz segment, as always, is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Jazz fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in, and place the same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back. Download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in bonus bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So Richie, we talked about the Jazz are tanking. What are your Jazz notes for us this week? What could we possibly get out of a, a Jazz team that's going to be on a four-game losing streak? Yeah, it's 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 a rough watch right now, I'll be honest. Um,
1: it seems like the game that's going on right now, the Jazz versus Mavericks, I watched the first quarter. They were playing with really good pace, so it was a bit of a better watch than those OKC games, which were just brutal to watch. Um, the Jazz are a really fun team to watch when they have Laurie Markkinen. Laurie Markkinen, he just completely changes the entertainment aspect of the game. Um, He's really fun to watch. He obviously is such a talented scorer. And I mean, he has 19 points at half right now and he's keeping the jazz tied with the Mavericks. Um, He just, he makes the jazz competitive. So I think every game he's playing in is worth watching just because of his ability to keep the jazz afloat. Um, I think there's other things to watch too. And I think it goes kind of twofold. The jazz are in a position right now and their players are in a position where you can see who is going to be on the team. Or we, we we've we've established who some of the key players are for the future. Ochag, Baji, Walker Kessler, Larry Markkinen. So we can keep an eye on those players and just their development. And then we can keep an eye on people that might make the team in the future. That might be part of this core as they progress. Um, I think some of those guys right now include Chris Dunn, who has put together a really solid stretch of games. He has been phenomenal. Played really good minutes off the bench. Um, he is currently, dude. He's averaging 13 points, 4.2 assists, 3.4 rebounds, 1.8 steals, shooting 42% from three. And that's the reason he's never been able to really stay on an NBA roster is because of his three-point shooting. But he's been good. He's not forcing it. He's just taking it, taking his time with his three-pointer, and that's that's all he has to do. Um, I am totally – we talked a lot about Chris Dunn last week, so I don't want to belabor the point, but he's a really solid player that I think is going to earn a rest-of-season contract and maybe even more. Um Another guy to keep an eye on right now is Johnny Juzing. He had a decent game against OKC the other night. He had 11 points, was able to hit some threes, and that was one of the big knocks on Johnny Juzing um, was his ability to shoot outside of the arc. In college, he was such an elite mid-range threat. We watched him torch the run and multiple, multiple times um, with his mid-range scoring, and he's really hard to stop. If he is able to be that kind of scorer, but from beyond the arc in the NBA, then he can... Carve a legit role for himself. His defense still is lacking. He has to improve um, big time in that regard. But I think overall there might be an NBA player in that guy. Um, two other guys to keep an eye on. We've talked about Taylor Horton Tucker. He's been pretty solid. Um, his turnovers have been really, really bad the last couple of games. But I think just as he gets more, more and more reps, he'll hopefully be able to figure that out. And then Simone Fontecchio has played some good games. He's a really elite shooter, but the question about him is what is he going to do with when his shot isn't falling? Is he going to add to the game in other ways? Um, overall, I just think the Jazz are it's, – it's still a pretty hard watch, but those are some things to keep an eye on. Um, there are guys that will be part of the team next year. Like Taylor Horton Tucker has a player option that he will probably opt into. Damian Jones has a player option that he should probably opt into as well. Um, And then there are guys that probably won't be on the team next year, like Rudy Gay or Udoka Azubuki. So I just think every game kind of is worth watching, especially if you're
0: keeping an eye on some of those core guys that will be part of the team next year. I think most of the guys on the squad, like you mentioned, it'll be entertaining for the fact that these guys are fighting for a team spot. So I think we'll see some great individual games throughout the rest of the season. It's kind of funny, though, because we mentioned – in a previous episode, how fun it is to watch the jazz, even though we're predicting, you know, they, they made some moves where they're not going to be as good this year, but they'll be good in the future, but you should still watch jazz games because they can still be good. And I agree with your point that Lori marketing is the, the game changing factor. And I would stand by that when the jazz do have a fully healthy roster, that is a fun team to watch. Uh, I think Clarkson is always fun to watch marketing. of course has at least probably one posterizing dunk a game. And, one of the other contributing players because they're fighting for an individual spot, will have a good individual game. And that really depends on what night it is. We've seen that from Fontecchio, We've seen it from Horton Tucker and we've seen it from Chris Dunn as he's gotten some good minutes. I'm, I'm just interested to see how, how it shakes up, like who, who will be left at the end of the year. And I think you talked about the strengths of all these players, their potential weaknesses that could keep them off. But These games are so important, not only for the organization, but especially for these players. Um, Sad to see Rudy Gay's, you know, towards the end of his career was such a fun watch, but now it's kind of gone down. I mean, right now he's the second leading scorer for the Jazz at halftime against the Mavs with eight points, actually has a decent decent shooting um, percentage tonight, 50% from the floor, 50% from three. Good to see that. But Rudy Gay's on his way out of the league. And then you look around and it's guys that once had a lot of potential. Now they kind of lost some of that stardom. Um, Johnny Juzang, though, that's an interesting mention because a lot of Utes fans will remember him. Um, He was on those fantastic UCLA squads, one that went to the Final Four. Um, He had a legendary game against Gonzaga, where then Gonzaga and Jalen Suggs had a half-court shot to advance to the national championship. Such a fun watch, and that's what really put Johnny Juzang on the map. I think that's when the country kind of noticed what he could do, and I was really happy to see him join the Jazz roster. At the same time, like Laurie Markkinen, I'm hesitant at first because I used to hate them back in their college days. But then you look at, I I hated them because of the school that they were at, but you appreciate the game, and you know that they're good at basketball. And Johnny Juzang has that ability. I also think that he has the capability of creating a three-point shot. Uh, we've seen it tons of times with guys that enter the league. Look, for, look at an example for Kyle Kuzma, to put it in a Runny Newts perspective. Great college player. He was able to be such an, a balanced scorer and defender, especially in his last season with the Utes. Really a key piece for that team. He was a really spotty shooter. You'd see flashes, but you never saw consistent shooting from the perimeter. And then he goes into the summer league, gets MVP be, mainly because of his shooting. He, he he goes lights out shooting. And now you see his role in the NBA. The man's pulling up from deep, almost half court. He's shooting shots like that, and he's draining them. And good for him because, again, he transitioned to the league. He recognized there's a change in pace, a change in play. I need to change my game. And he realized that was the perimeter shot. And now that's become a key part of his game now in the professional league. I think Johnny Juzang has the same capability. He reminds me a lot of what Kyle Kuzma used to look like in the NCAA ranks. I think he has that same type of athleticism. And I think he can have just as much effectiveness from the perimeter. He just has to learn how to do it. And being a rookie, he's got a lot of time. But once again, every game matters. So as he's getting minutes, and right now he has nine minutes at halftime. So you're getting solid time here in games down the stretch where your team is trying to fight for a play-in spot, maybe. This is a time to maybe prove yourself, to say, hey, you can be a project we want to work on that we can help you develop. So let's help you out. So maybe Johnny Juzang really does have a part in this Jazz franchise moving forward. The other guys, I'm not really sure. Like, Fontecchio, fun guy, love the dude, big fan. I don't know if he's a a role moving forward with this Jazz franchise. Um, As you said, when his shot's off, that's a really big question mark. And as I just mentioned, the three-point shot, the perimeter shot, is such a focal, uh, focal point of the NBA where... If you have a guy like Fontecchio who likes to just pull the trigger from the perimeter, you need to have a guy that you know will have a mindset of, hey, when my shot's not going to go down, I have a plan B. So going into these last 17 games, what does Fontecchio show us? Like, hey, this is my plan B if my shot's not going to fall. Because he's the type of guy where he's going to pass and sh- or he's going to catch and shoot. That's his game. So what happens if that doesn't work out? Well, we don't know. So... I think just like we talked about with the Western Conference playoff, that's going to be changing every week. I think our talk of which players would be staying, in our opinion, I think are also going to be changing every week because players are going to stand out more in certain games, especially against some of these easy squads. But the Jazz have got some tough teams coming up. We talked about the playing Boston twice, um, playing the Lakers again. I just think this is going to be, it's going to be fun to watch from an individual perspective to see these players really shine. But I think it also comes down to are we more excited to see these players transition into the next team? Or are we just more excited about the potential lottery pick um, for the jazz this next year for the potential first, multiple first round picks, the jazz could either use or trade. So jazz or excuse me, <laughs> Richie, not jazz. Richie, what are your thoughts on not looking at these players or this current roster, but looking at the jazz's first round picks as they stand um, in the next upcoming draft?
1: The Jazz's lottery odds are in a very interesting spot. So they're kind of in a race with all these teams that are fluttering around the play-in. The Washington Wizards with Kyle Kuzma, they're kind of right there. Portland, Los Angeles Lakers, New Orleans Pelicans, Oklahoma City, Chicago, Indiana, Orlando. So I think those top four teams um, or the bottom four teams in... San Antonio, Detroit, Houston, Charlotte, they're all pretty solidified that they're going to be those top four teams. However, one of these other top teams could jump into that race, and I think Utah has a good chance of that. If you look at Utah's remaining schedule, they have a pretty rough go, Um, and if they keep sitting, guys, then it's going to be even more rough. But they currently have chance at getting in about – so they're currently within four games of Orlando – who's at the five, they're at the five best lottery, the fifth best lottery odds. And the Jazz are four games within them. So Orlando's 27, 38, Utah is 31 and 34. If the Jazz can get up to about the fifth, sixth or seventh best lottery odds, it's going to completely change this off season. We've talked a little bit about how the national narrative is that this is a really good draft class. And as I familiarized myself with some of these guys that are in the draft, I think it's a pretty solid draft class. If the jazz are able to get to the top six, then all of a sudden you have a 37% chance of getting into the top four through the lottery. You have 9% chance of getting the number one pick, which is so much better than where you are right now. The jazz are kind of in like the 10, 11, 12 range where they have about like a two or 3% chance of getting the number one pick and like a 12% chance of moving into the top four If you're able to have a 43% chance of moving into the top four, that completely changes the outlook of this team, especially if you're able to get one of the top four. Um, I think the four guys in college and wherever they're playing right now that are going going to go in the top four are all going to be franchise changers in their own special ways. Um, Victor Weminyama is obviously an incredible talent. Every time you watch him, it's like really at this size, he's able to do that. The kid is seven, five and He's one of the best prospects we've ever seen. Then you have Scoot Henderson, who plays like a mixture of Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul. And he's, he's also an incredible watch. He's going to be really good. You got Brandon Miller on Alabama, who looks like a young Paul George and who has that kind of potential. And then you have Amon Thompson, Asar Thompson. You got all these other guys. Amon Thompson is a freak athlete. Um, Tony Jones of the athletic did a really good report on some of the jazz uh, on some of the guys that the jazz will be targeting and he mentioned that Almond Thompson will come as basically a one percentile athlete, meaning that he will be in the top 1% of athletes in the NBA as soon as he walks into the league. That's just, he's going to be a freak. He reads the game at a really high level. And this is the kind of draft that you do lose games for. It's a very special draft. We've heard things about the next draft that it's not going to be so special. Heck, Bronny James has somehow worked himself up into the top 10 no discredit to the guy I I have I can't speak much to about his game but it's gonna be a pretty weak draft class if you're gonna decide to tank now is the time um the jazz like I said they have positioned themselves well enough to be able to move into that bottom four into that bottom six and if they are able to get to the bottom six it could completely change the outlook of this franchise going forward um Thatcher, how do you feel about the Jazz potentially losing games? And do you think there is some subtle tanking going on right now?
0: I think so, because originally when they reported Sexton's hamstring issue, it was going to be a week. And that's just slowly turned into like three weeks now. And it's moving forward. So I'm hinting at yes. But dude, the thought of the Jazz having a 9% chance of seeing Wembanyama in the black and neon and highlighter gold, that dude, that's that's got me excited. Um thinking about it, if you had Victor Wembanyama, Walker Kessler down low in the paint, dude, are you kidding me? I'd I'd be buying season tickets. Um, but as you mentioned, all around the top four, and I think even going into the top 10, I think this is such an elite draft class. And you mentioned Tony Jones dissecting. Uh, the players that the Jazz were targeting. I still think that there's good players, even if potentially the Jazz do end up in the teens. Heck, we've even seen that they've done really, the Jazz have done well drafting in the teens before, and a lot of good players now in the league were drafted in those slots. So I I wouldn't say that the the Jazz are, you know, screwed or that, you know, they ruined a perfectly good chance if they do end up in those slots, because who knows, the Jazz could pull off a steal like they did in 2017 with Donovan Mitchell. I think if you were to go back and do Donovan Mitchell's draft, he would be a top three guy. Um, And so I'm not really worried if the jazz do, you know, follow those positions, but the top four are that elite that it doesn't hurt to tank a few games. And as you said, there's a tough, brutal stretch coming up and it wouldn't hurt in the future in terms of the futures, um, prospective future to maybe sit out a few guys to lose those games and to move into a better chance to win, you know, the top four picks. So as we've said, when Banyama is going to be and the others are going to be franchise changers, you're going to see these bottom teams all of a sudden get national TV slots going into the next year. Heck, that's what we saw with new Orleans when Zion went there in his first year, the Zion's new Orleans Pelicans had more televised games nationally than the jazz and Denver combined. That's the type of effect he had because of what he did from the media's perspective. That's what Wemba is doing right now, where he does one move it's on Twitter for the next week. And same thing with Scoot Henderson. He does a move it's on Twitter for the next week. Like these are guys that change the media's perspective of the franchise. And so you get more coverage, therefore more players and the league are more interested in your franchise. It changes the entire narrative around it. Utah desperately needs that type of attention right now. It was great that they had the all-star weekend, but this isn't exactly what Ryan Smith is trying to get. He wants to change the narrative about Utah. These are the types of players that change a narrative about a franchise. I mean, heck, who cared about the Pelicans before Zion went there? I couldn't tell you how, how like, little anyone really cared about New Orleans. Sure, you had Brandon Ingram. You had a a, a pretty good squad down there. Um, wasn't Jalil Okafor down there in, like, 2015, 2016? Like, he was kind of, like, one of those key players in New Orleans, like, they didn't have that great a roster. But like now, everyone pays attention because of Zion. And so you look at those top four perspective first-round draft picks, those are the guys that will change, in my opinion, the future of the Jazz if they're able to get them. So who knows? Who knows what will happen? But I'm excited to see what the Jazz do. I think... I don't know. When do you think the Jazz, like, we could probably make a guess that the Jazz are tanking? Do you think there's a timeline, like a like a game maybe this next week? We'll see, okay, the Jazz are definitely tanking. Or do you think, like, it's going to be this will-they-won't-they they type of thing the rest of the season?
1: Well, even tonight, you could make the argument that they're starting to kind of enter that. You could say that as soon as last game, when Larry Markanen went out with, like, a bad back and just didn't play last game. Um, tonight, Jordan Clarkson isn't playing because of his dislocated finger, which apparently dislocated against OKC, and then he popped it back in in the middle of that game. Sick move. Way cool, Jordan Clarkson. Way cool. Um, and then Walker Kessler had like a little sickness, non-COVID, non-COVID sickness that he set out with. So I think you're kind of starting to see signs. The thing is, the Jazz will net. I don't think they'll ever publicly be acknowledging that they're tanking. I just think you could see little things like this here and there where heck i even think with like the colin sexton injury they ruled him out for the entire road trip like first game of the road trip they just said colin sexton's going to be out with his hamstring we're going to let him get healthy and i think that's a great approach from the jazz's perspective you should be cautious with these guys you don't have that much to gain from playing them especially if they're already a little bit banged up um and so i think that might be kind of their mentality just as they go down this final stretch um Next week, you're going to have some games that, frankly, even if you are at full strength, are going to be hard to win. Um, However, as we finish up this road trip, I mean, after Dallas, I think you have Charlotte, Orlando, and Miami in some sort of order. And Orlando's a pretty good team. A win for them would help them and probably help us if we are wanting to tank because it would narrow that gap between us and them. Um, and then Charlotte, I mean, Charlotte's pretty hopeless without LaMelo ball. Miami is right there trying to win games. I just think there are so many teams that are still right on the play in that have these aspirations to keep winning games and the jazz don't necessarily have that aspiration. They don't have anything to prove this year. They've already proved it. They've found an all-star. They found a guy that could be a future all defensive player for multiple years um the jazz have done everything that they have to do this season at this point they don't have as much to gain as these other teams and i think that's what it's ultimately going to come down to as we enter the final stretch of the season is that these teams are going to want to win games portland is going to want to win games they're going to want to get damian lillard into the playoffs again the los angeles lakers have such high playoff hopes and they might just be looking like an eight seed or something. Um, and so these teams that are below the jazz in the standings are going to start winning games and the jazz are probably going to start losing games. And I think just maybe once you get into the final 10 games, it's going to be like, okay, the jazz don't have a shot at the play-in. You can just cut the wire right now, cut the power cord, send the jazz into their coma and
0: wake up once the draft starts. Here's a good question will the Lakers value LeBron and his opinion that he wants to play with Bronny? So would they give up potential assets going into the next season to prepare to gain Bronny later? Because LeBron says wherever Bronny plays, that's where I'll go. Do you think that the Lakers would potentially give up a good season next year to get Bronny for the next year to have that type of attraction and everyone's going to be looking at, LA with LeBron and Bronny there do you think the Lakers would ever look at that type of option so
1: LeBron has actually said kind of rescinded that comment he said he wants to play his last season with Bronny LeBron is 38 right now how many years do we think he has left probably 10 I don't know the guys playing like a monster (laughs) he's not gonna play 10 more years but he might play like four or five and so I think we're gonna see him and Bronny join up more organically. I don't think that the Lakers are going to be drafting Bronny. Um I think it's going to happen maybe a little more organically where LeBron goes where Bronny is playing and I think it would depend on the franchise. Like LeBron had also said that he's never going to play in Orlando. What if he gets drafted by what if Bronny gets drafted by Orlando? I think LeBron would probably go back on that. Um so I don't know. I don't think the Lakers are going to make any trades for that, just because of where LeBron is probably sitting with that. But at the same time, that's a
0: that's a great question, and only time will tell. I mean, Rob Polinka's has made questionable moves, so who knows? Maybe he'll do another one. Um, but before we get to Utah basketball, quick shout out Utah football. They went to the combine. We had some few players go out there, go out and shine. Dalton Kincaid now protected or a, a projected first round pick as a tight end over Michael Mayer, who was like the presumed best tight end in the country. Uh, Totally false. But I'm glad Dalton Kincaid jumped up into the first-round rankings. Um, Brayden Daniels had a fantastic 40-yard dash, second-best among all offensive linemen. He really showcased his skills. Second only to BYU offensive lineman Blake Freeland. Tough look there. But shout-out to those guys. Um, Love to see it. Excited for spring football to start. See quarterback competition heat up without rising and some of these new guys coming in should be really fun to watch. Um, I know the combines kind of looked over in my opinion. I I don't really care about the combine that much. I know it's important, but in my opinion, I think the NFL overvalues um, the physical attributes of its players rather than in game skills. Um, I've seen a lot of guys get looked over really great players in the NFL get looked over because of their body type, their finger size, their, Verticality, And now there's a conversation about why offensive linemen are running 40 yard dashes because that Oklahoma Sooner lineman um, ruptured his hamstring. The USC lineman, Andrew Voorhees, um, tore his hamstring. And so it's just hard to look at how valuable a 40 yard dash is for an offensive lineman in in game situations. So the combine, in my opinion, is a little bit overvalued, um, but glad to see some guys still shine over there. I don't know if you were able to watch any highlights from the combine.
1: I, I've watched a little bit.
0: I think my thing with the combine,
1: it's kind of the same with the NBA combine. I think it's, it should be like, if you're a, somebody that might be projected to be a second rounder, but you want to get your work your way up to the first round, that's the stage to do it. But if you're one of those guys, that's already a top guy. I don't think it makes sense to necessarily go to the combine. Like, I think Anthony Richardson, uh, the Florida quarterback, would have stood out regardless and probably would be a first-round pick regardless um, if he went or didn't go to the Combine. However, because he went and had one of the most impressive Combine performances ever, I think his draft stock is going to rise significantly. Um, Ultimately, I agree with you, though. I don't think the Combine means that much. Like, it might act as a little boost, just see, like – what players what kind of shape players can get themselves into um but end of the day it's, it's like how i view the nba combine i mean none of the best players none of the top five picks go to the nba combine and i think that's kind of the same with the
0: nfl combine well anthony richard is now projected to possibly be the number one pick overall which would ease my burdens all just a little bit more because of what happened in last year's utah florida game that would feel a little bit better knowing we lost to the number one pick overall I still can't get over that he pulled a spin move like that on that two point conversion and never did anything like that for the rest of the season. Kind of pisses me off, but we move on. We move on. Spring ball comes up. We'll get past it. Uh, but running use basketball lost five straight and Pac twelve season. So they finished up Pac twelve conference record with 10-10 record. Um, six more wins than they had last year. So again, they moved up. I feel like they kind of showed progression in Craig Smith's second year. We've talked about recruiting and the impact that has, but the big thing is the Pac-12 tournament this week. Uh, crazy stuff that happened in the women's tournament. Both Utah and Stanford lost, didn't go to the championship game, and we saw the seven seed versus the five seed, um, and the seven seed ended up coming on top in the women's bracket. So, if that's a notion of maybe things to come, maybe Utes are going to the March Madness there, the seven seed. Maybe things are looking up, looking up for them. I would say no, uh, mainly because the matchups that they're having to go against are, besides Oregon, not what they want. I tweeted, I was like, the I give the Utes maybe a 5% or less chance of winning it all solely because Oregon's on the other side of the bracket. Um, But it's it didn't help that they fell to a spot where they're going to have to play Arizona in the second round. Arizona's always a tough ask, especially in the tournament. I feel like that's when they really turn on the engines in the conference tournament and so that's going to be a tough ask on the second night of a back-to-back to to beat Arizona, and then you'd probably have to play USC, and then you'd probably have to play UCLA. Like Brutal stretch after the opening round. That being said, looking at the Stanford matchup, very winnable. Obviously, Utah's favored because they're the seventh seed, and now you have all of your roster back. Looking back um, at the Oregon State game, the game before Gabe Madsen got injured, the Utes were looking so good. I I think they really, everyone figured out their roles. Utah basically won that game by like 40 points. And I was like, wow, these guys can like actually maybe have a small bit going to March Madness. They could go in as a lower seed, you know, last four in type of thing. Like they have the ability. But now because even though you had Madsen and Wooster back and Madsen had a little bit of a burst there in the second half, was able to make three consecutive threes. Raleigh Wooster had a pretty good outing. But they just don't have that flow anymore because even though everyone's back, they lost all that time together to play really good teams together and have that, have that type of vibe now going into the tournament. Like what can they do? And because they've lost five straight, we used to say that they were a lock in the NIT. I don't know if they are a lock in the NIT anymore. In fact, if they lose the opening round game on Wednesday, I would say that the NIT might keep them out. And that would be a really tough look because my expectation was NIT. And so I feel like it would be a little bit of an underachievement if the Utes did not go to some form of a postseason this year. So that's why I think the Stanford game is so crucial, not only for the team, but I think for Craig Smith in terms of how we um, value his second season as a head coach. Richie, how are you looking at it going into the Stanford game on Wednesday? And how do you think this impacts Craig Smith's tenure as a head coach and maybe our expectations of the Utes this season? I'll start
1: with this. It's March. Anything can happen. Um, We've seen crazy things happen in March. I feel like it probably won't happen to the Utes, but there's that little chance that it could, that they could go on a good run. Um, Stanford's an interesting team. As I was looking at their last game that they played where Stanford beat Utah at Utah, I think that was a very telling game. And I think this is going to be a game that Utah has kind of a chip on their shoulder going into. Um, obviously they have dropped in the standings and they're not the same team that they were. We watched that Colorado game. They look a lot different. I think it was inspiring that Rolly Wooster and Gabe Madsen were able to have solid performances in their first game back. I think as they build continuity just this week and next week, or as they build continuity this last week up until this week, I think that's going to pay big, big dividends as we go into this first game against Stanford. Um, Stanford, they're a great team. I, I, I don't know how that slipped out. They are not a great team. Um, they, they struggle a lot, and but they still have some good players. Harrison Ingram and Spencer Jones are the two guys that you have to stop. And I think having Madsen, having Wooster back is going to help as far as stopping those two. However, one situation worth keeping an eye on is Marco Anthony. He's very banged up. And it was evident against Colorado. He just does not look the same. He's not moving the same. He's not defending the same. Utah didn't really close with him. Um, he came in for spots at the second half, but didn't come in for the usual minutes that he would play. And I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Who's going to be the guy that steps up if he is hurt? If he's still hurting, I think Will Exact Junior is going to have to play some big minutes for Utah in this game. Um, and he's kind of been the guy that's traditionally has filled that role for Marco Anthony, Um, and I think he will have to do that again. I'm also curious to see, like, what our rotations look like. We talked about last week how we thought the Utes might have found something in Mike Saunders Jr., how he was just a spark plug off the bench. He played great minutes against USC and UCLA. He barely played against Colorado, and I think that's probably telling of what's going to happen in the NCAA tournament or in the Pac-12 tournament because – you want continuity. And frankly, he hasn't been part of that continuity all season. I don't think you're all of a sudden going to try to plug him in because he had two good games when your starters are back. Um, so I wouldn't expect to see him. I think Utah probably plays with a very limited rotation and they just take a game by game, try to grind out every game that they can. It's encouraging. Like I said, that Gabe Madsen and Booster were able to kind of have good games, find their rhythm against Colorado if that loss means that we can have a have a win in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament, I think it's totally worth it. Um, the Stanford team, like I said, they're not a great team. Utah should beat them on paper. It's close. It's an even split. It's about like 55, 45 chance per the ESPN FPI. And I think Utah should have a better chance than that to win just based on what they've been able to do their body of work this entire season. Um, when Utah's healthy, they've been one of the best teams in the conference. They've been on the top side of the teams in the conference. They've been fifth or sixth. And when Utah isn't healthy, they've obviously been very bad. So Utah is in this weird situation where I think they're going to have to find some sort of middle ground. They're going to have to try and build on the continuity that they built all season and hopefully take that into the back to tournament and beat Stanford in the first round and take it to Arizona in the second round. I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of discouraging going into it just because of the sour taste that we ended the season on.
0: Yeah, I feel like the last few years going into the Pac-12 tournament, to for most of the Kruskoviak era, after the really good years, I like really from, you know, 2014 to 2018, like Utah was always a top four seed. And that was kind of an expectation going in. They always got the buy, But man, like, especially like, 2017 and beyond like utah even when they had a buy always lost that quarterfinal game like they could never get past who came in usually it was oregon that would come in as a lower seed and just beat the utes when they had a top four seed and a buy so that's the that's the one bonus i think of being a lower seed is sure you have to play the potential a lot of back to back to backs but You get a game under your belt, and you can maybe catch one of these seeds off guard. It sucks because Arizona, because I think out of the four that are in there, they're probably the least likely to show up um, unprepared. Um, I just think Arizona, like I said, always shows up to the Pac-12 Conference Tournament. Um, It looks like they're just destined to win it from the get-go. And so the Utes got, like, will need to have probably their best game of the season in that quarterfinal matchup. It's a hard ask. It's a very hard ask right now with this huge squad. Like you said, it's March, so anything's possible. If Utah wins against Stanford, I think they get into the NIT as a lower seed. But if you beat Arizona, potentially, if you beat Arizona, you're still in the NIT in my opinion, but now I think you have a high seed because now you have another huge quad one win that'll boost you up in the rankings. Potentially, okay? Just, just stay with me here. Say you beat USC in the semifinal game, and you go to the Pac-12 championship, okay? So now you'd have a win against Stanford, and then you'd have two quad one wins. You'd have Arizona and USC. If you were looking at a March Madness perspective, would the Utes get in as like a last four team in if they were able to go on a run there, go 3-0, and and you're beating two quad one opponents? Like, do they?
1: I, I don't think they do, unfortunately. I That sucks to hear, but I don't think they do.
0: I don't think they do either. I think the only way they get there is if they win the entire thing. If they do potentially, though, go to the championship game and lose, in my opinion, I think they have to be a 2 seed or higher in the NIT. Like, going in there with a hot streak, they have to be a two-seed. Um, or potentially even a one-seed. But I don't think they'll beat Utah State, because Utah State will most likely be a one-seed if they don't win the Mountain West. So... I think this is a very interesting weekend if you're a Utes fan. Lots of hope. Um, I'd say there's a 0.5% chance they go to March Madness. So keep that bracket alive. I'd love to see them on there. Probably not going to happen. But we need to see them in the NIT. I think if this roster is fully healthy and working together, they're a good squad to watch in the NIT. I think right now they have a matched up as an eight seed going to play uh, New Mexico in the pit. Uh, That's a brutal first game in the NIT, um, especially on the road. And that's the harder thing about the NIT is it's not, it's no neutral ground. Like you're going straight into the enemy's territory and that would be a tough game for to have them play. But I think the Utes could maybe make some noise in that tournament. They just got to get at least one win to get there. But then I'd like to see them maybe put up some, maybe seeing some effort from Arizona would get them a higher seed. Who knows? But I'm excited for the Pac-12 tournament. Richie, who's your favorite to win out of the 12 teams?
1: I think it's UCLA. Um, I watched that game on Saturday versus UCLA, UCLA versus Arizona. And I'm just amazed by what UCLA has built. They have such a solid team. Unfortunately, the thing that's going against them right now is Jalen Clark is injured and he's been such a good defender. He's been debatably one of the best defenders in college basketball all season. And with him out, that is going to be pretty rough. He just does so much for them. However, they have a team that's, been through this they've been through multiple tournaments they got to the final four two years ago with largely the same core they had Jaime Hawkins they had Tiger Campbell and then they brought in some new guys that have been really good um and I don't know I I wouldn't bet against them they're very well coached they have kind of that they have that edge that you know is going to make a tournament team a good tournament team like sometimes you'll see some of these high seeds go into the and go into March Madness and they get upset. And you can kind of predict just, like, if you go through their season, like, if they're going to be good or not. Um, And sometimes you can't because it's just completely random. But UCLA, because they've been through it, I think they're going to be really good. On the other hand, I think Arizona is going to be right there with them. Arizona has that experience as well. They've been to the NCAA tournament. They've played in the Pac-12 tournament. They're a very dangerous team with Tubellis and Balo. And then they got Pelly Larson, Kirk Reza. If Kirk Reza goes hot, I don't think anybody's stopping them because I think the rest of their team is so complete. Um, And they're just very well coached. Like you said, they are probably the team that comes into the tournament the most prepared. And I think that's very encouraging if you're betting on Arizona to get to the tournament um, or to get to the championship and win it all. Um, Ultimately, I'm going to pick UCLA, but I think Arizona is right there with them.
0: Yeah, for me, I can't really pick. I think it's between both of the squads. I think that championship game would be really entertaining and fun to watch. So I I hope that besides if the Utes aren't there, I hope it's those two teams. I, I'm not going to say that I'd rather have those two teams play than the Utes. I wouldn't say that. That's stupid. But if if besides the run in Utes, I would love to see that matchup because that was a fun one last weekend, and it was a fun one down in Arizona. So hopefully the Bruins and the Wildcats match up again. But let's finish it off with the draft segment tonight. Um, movie all time movie franchises. Um this is tough because there's a lot. I actually just saw TikTok on the best movie trilogies of all time, and I just realized how many great movie trilogies there are. So the fact that we're going franchises worries me that I'm gonna leave something out and I'm gonna hate myself later. So let's see how this goes. Okay, so last week I believe you had the number one pick. I think you picked I think, I think you I think picked think right. I think you picked Mando in our Mandalorian draft. <laughs> um all right, so number one pick. This is going to be my bias coming in here. I'm going to go the Harry Potter movie um, franchise. And that's that's mainly because they were able to get child actors and bring them through for 10 years for all eight movies. Continuity was key. We had a few mess-ups mess in between. but fantastic films for the most part. Um, good standalone films, like if you're just looking for one watch. I'd also recommend doing a marathon and watching them all together. Uh, Fantastic stuff. So I'm going to go with Harry Potter uh, with my number one pick.
1: Hey, that's solid. Um, The sixth most grossing franchise of all time. So they've made a lot of money. Um, My number one, I'm, you probably could have guessed it. I'm going Lord of the Rings. It's just, three great movies and then return of the King ending the way it did and all the Oscars that it got and just like so much credit to one series that frankly has changed cinema in my eyes. I think I'm taking them number one easy.
0: Yeah. The fact that one of the pinnacles of nerddom was also able to put off fantastic movies that win movie of the year <laughs> and like constant Oscars. That's a pretty good pick. Um. And in my opinion, I think that's the number one trilogy of all time. Uh, There's no doubt about it. It's just the best. Okay, number two. I haven't liked him as much in the last three years, but I'm going to go with the the Marvel movie franchise. Um, First to really ever do uh, like a decade span of, again, really good standalone films that compile and lead up to this, these two like huge two-part movie experience that was just such a fun theater experience as well it's it's left me crying it's left me laughing it's left me clapping Uh, marvel's just it's an easy two for me so i'm gonna go with the mcu
1: i respect that it's a good choice if you're looking from 2018 to the past you know 100 that that's where i was looking (laughs) um my second pick i am gonna take the star wars movies just based on how much of a cultural icon they are even though i don't agree with some of the Recent interpretations of Star Wars. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to take
0: them number two. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good pick. Um, okay, three. This one might be a little bit under the radar. I'm going to go with Mission Impossible. Ooh! Once again, I just think the Mission Impossible movies. I think besides Mission Impossible, two great movies, and I think they've gotten better every time which I think is very hard for franchises for the sequels to be better than the originals. That's what I'm getting right now for mission impossible, excited for dead reckoning part one. So I'm going to go with Tom Cruise and mission impossible at the three.
1: I totally agree with you. If you look at like the track history of their movies, they have gotten better every single one. Like the first one is iconic because it has some iconic scenes. It's got the iconic music. Second one is pretty garbage. Third one is when it starts to get really good and then it just gets better and better. And like, the most recent one, I think, was the best one. So I'm 100% on there with you. Thatcher, I think we are following a pattern because you chose a Disney franchise with your second pick. I chose a Disney franchise with our first picks. We both chose Warner Brother franchises. With my third pick, I'm going to go with a spy movie as well. I'm taking James Bond.
0: It's even better. That's lasted like decades with different fantastic actors. So... Your third pick might be still the draft right there. Um, <laughs> I'm sad I I didn't have I had Mission Impossible and then James Bond. Maybe I should have switched those two. But that's a good pick. Um, okay. At the four, okay. Listen, I was debating. I've never seen any of the Fast and Furious movies, but the fact that these guys have been able to put out <laughs> ten films about cars, that's pretty incredible.
1: So I'm gonna I'm gonna I, blow your mind real quick they're not about cars anymore
0: (laughs) yeah that's what i was guessing they're about they're about family right yeah yeah um i've seen some clips from uh fast and furious and i think they're just laughable at this point but listen you got to give respect they're owning the game they somehow keep coming out with movies and getting money so i'm gonna go with the fast and furious franchise at the four that's 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 fair I, I won't say I agree with it but I, I see where you're coming from like they're not good movies but you have to respect their games somehow they're still in the league and they're doing what they're doing
1: yeah yeah um let's see my four I don't know if you're gonna be expecting this I'm taking Shrek Dang. Dang. I just do
0: <laughs> oh that's good that's a good the- one.
1: The first two are just so good. It don't even have to include the other ones. I just think those first two movies are so good. So iconic. They will be what historians look at when they look at
0: our time period. So it's peak cinema. I stand by <laughs> that. Dang. I should have thought of Shrek. That was a good one. Um, you know what, though? I'm, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it in uh, in DreamWorks. This could be a hot take. I could be banned from the league for this decision. I'm going to go with Kung Fu Panda. Um, I was I was just able to watch uh, all three movies in that trilogy with my wife. Um, I can say the fact that DreamWorks got Hans Zimmer to do the soundtrack for a movie about a panda who does Kung Fu, that completely changed the game. And all three <laughs> movies absolutely slap. Um, I, tears were shed, um, hearts were filled with joy, and I think that's exactly what you want in a movie franchise. And who doesn't want Jack Black being a part of their team? I'm gonna go with Kung Fu Panda at the five. Very respectable. My fifth pick. Um,
1: I, there's a lot of ways I could go with it. Ultimately, though, I'm just gonna trust my gut. I'm taking Pirates of the Caribbean. I just I love Jack Sparrow. What it what it's inspired after, I think is great just the Disney ride and then making all these movies that have been successes. I'm taking that one fifth. Yeah, you won this draft pretty easily. I will
0: say that right <laughs> now. I don't know, man. I don't know. I think I think it's close. I love the Fu Panda pick. You no, know, it is. It's great. I I will I'll stand by my picks for their to defend their honor. I I feel like I have a good I have a good uh backcourt, Harry Potter, Marvel mission impossible like i feel like i got a good starting three uh down low right. with the four and five um i'm gonna have some trouble in the paint so that those aren't those aren't good movies right. but i'm okay i'm okay we're good um you pick some <laughs> solid franchises I'm, I'm just gonna say that right now but anyways uh thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of the thatcher effect hope you can tune in next week and beyond as we update our opinions on the jazz and use more so stay tuned and thank you all for listening